0: It's such a blessing for me to come to you today and just bring you the gospel of God's grace. Today we're going to talk about the depths of the wisdom of God and just how the gospel works and we're going to read from Colossians and just get right into the heart of God for us. Uh, I want to start off by a scripture that I've been quoting every time I've been preaching and uh, well I've quoted from December from Christmas time And I want to read it again And this is from Isaiah chapter 9 And verse 5 Or verse 4 It says For you have broken the yoke of his burden And the staff of his shoulder The rod of his oppressor As in the day of Midian And then verse 6 For unto us a child is born Unto us a son is given And the government shall be upon his shoulder And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon His kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is one of the most powerful passages I believe you can read in the the Bible, prophetically speaking, about what Jesus Christ had to come and do. What we have understood about Christianity traditionally is that God was looking for people in heaven and now He created people on earth, He gave them a law to obey and then they didn't obey this law and fell into sin and from there He increased the law by giving the law to Moses and unto the Jews and the Jews were then actually the people of God and the Gentiles weren't the people of God and somehow the Gentiles got tapped into the Jewish thing and underlyingly we are still obeying the law and Jesus Christ then came and gave us a second chance uh, unto heaven and now we just believe in Jesus and we live as good as possible hoping to make it to heaven Now, I want to say to you that that is not Christianity at all. That has got nothing to do, that concept, it's got nothing to do with what God had in mind when it comes to Christianity. A Christian, the word Christian, comes from the word Christ. Now, Christ uh, is, Christ means Messiah. And the Jewish Messiah, what they understood about the Messiah was that he would be the king. And that he would be the ruler Over the earth and that he would establish his kingdom in the earth and what the Jews back then believed was that they would that the kingdom would be restored back unto Israel and that the Jews would then have a great opportunity to obey the law and then enforce the law (coughs) and then with the guidelines of the law basically rule on the earth as a nation with the greatest wisdom there is, which would be the law. They would even declare that as knowledge. That is the greatest knowledge you can have. And from that law, the, there would be peace on earth. Their whole mindset was that there would be a Messiah and a Christ that would then actually be on earth and rule on earth. And they awaited a Messiah. Now, this Messiah or this Christ would then be, like I said, seen as the king or the ruler, the one that is giving the Jews access unto the whole world. The kingdom will be restored unto them, wherein they can peaceably obey the law. If you go and study a little bit of church history, you will see that the Jews couldn't peaceably Obey the law. They were always under some kind of a ruler, be it Romans or whoever. They were under some ruler. Back in Egypt, they couldn't serve their God the way they wanted to serve their God. And these Jews believe that if they can just serve God the way they're supposed to serve God through all the sacrifices and and everything, then they will be a light unto the whole world, and that the world and this was what. Uh, what the Jews were supposed to do, they were supposed to then be assault unto the earth and people would have to come to them and say, teach us, show us. They were then supposed to teach and show them unto the Messiah that would come which would be the Messiah of all people which would then reign and rule over all bringing the kingdom of God to all people. This they didn't do. They were salt but they lost their saltiness and were then trodden underfoot by men and seen as worthless. There was no worth anymore, uh, you know, in what they basically did. That was the Jewish understanding of how this whole thing would work. They couldn't freely serve God. They couldn't freely live their, their passion and they thought that there will be a messiah. This Messiah would then also be called, is also called Christ. And from that Christ or Messiah, we got Christians, which would be us, the Christians. So the Christians were the people that were actually saying in the early church time that Jesus is the king he is the ruler he is the one that has the rule over us and his kingdom is being established in the earth and the point that i want to make is that as christians we traditionally has had the view and at least i did i grew up thinking (coughs) especially after i got saved that it's all about Having Jesus save us from this world and take us to heaven and that is accessed through good works. We couldn't do the good works, gee God gave us a second chance by bringing forth Jesus and now since we have the second chance he now gives us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will then give us the ability to do the good works and obey the law and live a holy enough life and so we are righteous enough to when we die partake Of a resurrection and that resurrection happens when we die and then go to we we go to heaven that is what I used to believe but as you read Isaiah here you see that it doesn't have so much to do with that it's got much more to do with God coming breaking the yoke off the backs of people bringing a child to this earth which would fit to a certain degree the paradigm of the Jewish understanding of what a Messiah would be, or what a Christ would be. Where the Jews had it wrong was that they thought that, uh, and I touched on this last week, they thought that God gave Jesus, or or that God would give a Messiah to deliver them from a people group, to deliver them from the Romans, or to deliver them from, from oppression, where they were oppressed by other nations, and they had it completely wrong what they thought was that the Messiah would be the Messiah of the Jews and here we find in Isaiah chapter 9 it says here that um, in verse 3 that you have multiplied the nations and increased their joy so we find that the, the job of the Messiah was also a multiplication of nations Now, they didn't read passages like that. They didn't understand that. They just thought that this Messiah, they would be the only Christians, if you want to use the Greek word there, they were the only Christians, that's what they thought they would be, for the Messiah would be theirs. But here God comes and he says that this child that will be born will not be the Messiah of a certain people group, but he will be the Messiah of the whole world. Now, the moment we define the Messiah as the Messiah of the whole world, then we have to redefine oppression, because we're not oppressed now by a people group. We have to say that the Messiah is also the Messiah of the Greek. We have to say that the Messiah is the Messiah of the Roman and of the Gentile, the people that are actually oppressing the Jews. And if He is then the Messiah of the people that oppresses the Jews, it bears the question, why, what would freedom then look like? What would He be a Messiah of? What would He be ruling over? What would be, as seen in verse 4 here, the yoke of His burden? Who would be the His then? Who would be the oppressor all of a sudden? If the Messiah wasn't to redeem the Jews from the Roman oppression and we find that he didn't redeem them from the Roman oppression in 70 AD they, they were really um, destroyed there The greatest bloodbath, I believe, in human history took place there. And then from there on, (coughs) we find the Jews many times being oppressed by many nations. And that would then mean that God hasn't come to fulfill what He has promised in Jesus Christ. So we have to ask the question and redefine, what is, who is the oppressor, if it's not the Romans? And we find that the oppressor and that which oppressed man was sin and death. And we had access to sin and death through a wrong belief. And that wrong belief was what I would call the logic of the Satan. That is what it was. So that burden that was on us to redeem our own lives, to protect our own lives, to save ourselves from what destroys us. That is the burden that God came to take off our backs. And the burden to bring forth life in us was now upon Jesus it was now for Jesus to redeem us from sin and death and what did he come to give us what did Jesus Christ bring for us it says here that he he came to break the yoke of this burden yoke in Jewish understanding back in the old the physical was just a yoke that was on an ox but yoke also by the the Jews was understood as a doctrine or a teaching, so this yoke that was then broken was the doctrine, their belief was broken, that Jesus was only the Jesus of a certain people group and that oppression was then defined as being oppressed by another nation, when God redefines Oppression in Jesus Christ. He redefines uh, who, who his people is in Jesus Christ. He redefines the love of God. He redefines what salt truly is and what light truly is. Everything is, I wouldn't say redefined, but actually the true definition is coming forth in Jesus Christ. So here he says, he's come to break that, the rod of the oppressor. He's come to bring forth joy. And it says here, he's come to manifest a kingdom in the earth you know that the Bible clearly says that the meek will inherit the earth now if the meek inherits the earth and God's plan is to destroy the earth and end the earth and take us to a place called heaven then he is squandering the inheritance of the meek so <coughs> When we look at Jesus and we look at what he's come to do on the earth, we find that he in his glorified state after his resurrection, he does not exclude physicality, meaning that his physical body was raised from the grave, leaving the grave empty and that was then glorified. That glorified body is now in heaven and the promise was that he will return to the earth. To do what? The Bible says in Romans 8 that creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. In short terms he's waiting that God would then manifest the, the people that are His in this eternal glorified form and this will then include the glorification of the physical earth this glorification is not a taking away of humanity from the earth but it's actually a unification between heaven and earth wherein the um, th- that where in the earth the temporal is glorified with the eternal. Now that might sound like uh, very theoretical and all those kind of things, but what I want you to understand, and even in, in the communion that we did in the Sunday message here, <clears throat> we spoke about having the understanding and the logic and the wisdom of God. And in Colossians 2, we're going to get deep into that today, uh, because understanding brings forth fruit if you don't understand something it cannot bring forth fruit in your life you need to understand understanding the Bible clearly says in Matthew 13 that the seed that falls in the fruitful ground is he that hears the word of the kingdom and understands it he that hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it It is he where the seed is sown on the road and the evil one comes and snatches away that seed, the wicked one, and he bears no fruit. So understanding plays a vital role. Right there where you are, say, Lord, I want to understand. I want to understand this whole thing that was recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We need to come to a place where we realize Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the the epistles of the apostle Paul and James, all those things most of the inclination of those writings was to explain to people to the Jewish people that the Messiah was now the Messiah of all people or to explain to the Gentiles that they don't have to seek after a Jewish Messiah but that they actually have their own Messiah and to redefine uh, what freedom is and to see this kingdom manifest in the earth wherein God brings forth righteousness, holiness in people and where He sustains them, where He keeps them holy, where He keeps them righteous where a holy life is not called obedience to the law anymore but actually a fruit of the very Spirit of God Amen! That means that the holy life I live That it is not me living, but that it is, what does Paul say? It is Christ living in me. So at the end of the day, what Jesus Christ came to do is, He came to break the yoke of sin. He came to break the yoke of the bondage of the law, wherein we, through the law, or let me put it this way, wherein sin, through the law, had access unto killing us, manifesting its death and wickedness greatly in our lives. That is what he came to deliver us from. So when we talk about Christ or when we talk about the Messiah, we are not trying to tap into Judaism. And I want to talk about that today. If you are not a Jew, I want you to know that there is absolutely no reason for you to ever feel like a second-class citizen. The the Jewish people are loved by God with all of the heart of God, many times called in the Old Testament the apple of his eye, or it was called once that I know of, the apple of his eye, but many times referred to as the loved people, the people of God. But we need to understand that the privilege they had was to be used as the nation that would speak of what God is going to do. Amen. And if we today go and look at the Jewish people and we look at them and we say a people that are more special than other people, you are not understanding what true Christianity is. You are not seeing the dimensions of the love of God. Many might say, but it is dangerous to talk like that because it's anti-semitic and many Jewish people were oppressed through talk like this and all of those things. No, even if it was like that, it was truth that was eventually abused to abuse people and should those people have understood true Christianity, they would never oppress a Jew. This is, if Jesus is not the Messiah over sin and death, instead of being the Messiah over a people group, no Jew will ever be able to be saved. The the way Paul got saved, the way Peter got saved, was by Jesus being the Messiah over their sin and death, preserving their lives even to the point that after they have physically died, that unto them is a promise made of a resurrection Of their bodies into a new greater form of physicality that is what it's all about that's how Paul got saved saved from sin and death the Bible says you shall call his name Jesus why for he shall save his people not from the Romans he shall save his people from their sin Amen. So that talks about saving the Jews from their sin in rejecting the Messiah and should they come to the belief he can save them from physically what they've done there as well as then, and this is the real focus of it, the manifestation of the fruit of the flesh and all those kind of things, taking them out of defining themselves in their flesh into having their definition In the glorified man Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. Glory to God. That is what it's all about. Now in this introduction I wanted to just lay the foundation that you know it is about a kingdom wherein God has come to end the old, to end the old system of a Messiah for a certain people group where And when the Bible talks about we've been grafted into, what he's actually saying is, he's talking what I would call becoming a Jew for the Jew and a Gentile for the Gentile language. It is still coated with types and shadows and so forth, wherein he's actually saying, listen, this whole message of having a Messiah is actually true for the Gentile as well. And the moment it becomes true for the Gentile, we have to redefine what. Uh, uh, the Messiah is, for and what he saves us unto. (laughs) Amen. That is such good news. If we can just say, Lord, I want to grab a hold of this, I want to hear this, we will see the fruit of God in our lives. Now, the reason why I say this, to make it practical, is simply this. A wrong understanding of the gospel produces a powerless life. At the end end of the day, what this whole thing is about for me is I want to share in the power of his resurrection. And I want you to share in the power of his resurrection for that is the very will of God for us. That's what he's come to bring unto us, that we can have a life where we have conquered sin and death. I've said it last time and that is that no political group no political uh, uh, party will ever ever it will never be eternal because no political party possesses the power to deliver a human from the power of the flesh you know in South Africa um, wherever this is seen South Africa we've, we've uh, our political leaders we can use different names here you know I can use a uh, even back then when nelson mandela lived you can use a glorious figure like nelson mandela you know what is the problem with nelson mandela as uh, as as a leader the problem with him is he cannot save man from the sin of the flesh, he cannot save, he cannot save a man and preserve his life eternally, he doesn't have that ability, he himself is in need of a savior. So the reason why I preach this is simply because the eternal kingdom is the kingdom of this Messiah which is found inside the parameters or the bounds of a God that is not commanding his people to live a holy life, that is not commanding his people to be free from sin, that is not commanding his people to, um, to be in a certain way but a God that says I've got a kingdom and this kingdom is will manifest from me ruling and the way Jesus will rule is he will rule over the hearts of people and he will rule over their beliefs he will rule over the power of sin in their lives and he will manifest his life inside them and as his life starts to live in every person we would find life manifest everywhere you know there's a story going around I don't know if it's true (coughs) but that one of the ministers said that the greatest cause for dying is death and I don't think there's anything more true than that that is so true the greatest cause for dying is death as what the greatest cause for true living would be life so um, (coughs) You know, one might think it's humorous, yes, the greatest cause for dying is death. Yes, it is. And you can take it the other way around. The greatest cause for death is dying. It is so true. The, The reason why there is death in the world is because people are dying inside. Because there's death inside. And unless that death is taken away and life enters, you will find no life. And that is exactly what Christ has come to do. The Messiah was not the Messiah of the Jewish people to save them from the Romans, but he's the Messiah of humanity to rule over the death of people. That's why we as Christians or um, followers of the Messiah, that's why we are happy about the resurrection, because now he has conquered the death that is causing my dying. And as I believe on this life, I can now already see that life starting to find its, its growth in my heart and that seed is growing. And as it's, as it's growing, we find what is called the first fruits, which is love and joy and kindness and temperance, faithfulness and all those things, love. Peace, we find those things being established in our hearts, and as we find that being established in our hearts, we know what our end will be, what the expected end will be, and the expected end would then be eternal life, not referring now to going to heaven yes we will go to heaven for a while but then we would find in the resurrection as Christ returns he'll bring those that has died into his life uh, which we saw on the earth included a physical resurrection what that new life will look like in the physical we don't know but we know it will be a new form of physicality uh, wherein we are more physical than what we are now. Do you know that your physicality today is temporal? It lasts just for a few years, but in the resurrection, that physicality is eternal, where you will be more physical than now, but it will be a glorified kind of physicality where heaven and earth collides, where there's a oneness and a union, and that is what the Jews, what their whole thing was about with a temple. It was about that the temple was the place where heaven and earth collided, where you find a different form of physicality, where we find the almighty unseen God coming into this world where there's a bright light and a shaking and a whatever. That it's, it's that union, that place of connection. And that has now changed, not to be that temple anymore. That temple is now being rebuilt. That temple is rebuilt and that temple is you. Glory to God and now we are the place where heaven and earth collides and we can already see this collision taking place in the fruit that God has in our lives through the Messiah not ruling over a nation or or saving a nation from another nation but wherein he's actually coming to save us from sin and death. I want to say this for people all over the world and I've got a lot of it a lot of knowledge of Africa and also in America, a little bit about the politics there and everything. I want to say this, God is not to save us from the white people and God is not going to save us from the black people and God is not going to save us from the Asian. No, God has come to save white and black and Asian from what destroys them and that is the definition of the Messiah and God doesn't want us to go under the burden of sin and death and we can see how he's conquering sin and we will see we know now that he has physically conquered death in the message of the resurrection and in the end then we will see that truth manifest in us. Now I want to go to Colossians here Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1 it says <coughs> For I would that you know what great conflict I have for you and for them that are in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts might be comforted being knitten together in love and unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ now <clears throat> this is so powerful he comes he says my heart is burdened for every person that are in Laodicea even for those that have not seen my face in the physical my heart is for them and I want their hearts to be comforted being knit together in love now, I don't have time to explain that knitting together there but it's got everything to do with Jew and Gentile as a one people before God and unto all the riches so he says there's a riches there's a richness and riches that manifests that comes comes of the full assurance that comes through understanding so when we understand there is a full assurance and that assurance we have before God brings forth riches in our lives Amen. I'm not talking about money, a rich life, the same life as that which is in God. Now, he explains what this understanding and this full assurance is. This is when you understand something to the point that you can acknowledge the mystery of God. Now, what is the mystery of God? The mystery of God is what I've been talking about. The Bible says the mystery of God is Christ. In you, the hope of glory. Now, let me explain what that is. Many have preached the mystery is that Jesus is living in everybody. No, that is a lie. It's not the truth. The context where Paul explained Christ in you was the mystery that was hidden from ages and generations, f- from the Gentile, or from the Jewish point of view, was that God is also the Messiah of the Gentiles, and that the Messiah is now in, or in the Greek, you can also use the word amongst, the Gentiles. So the mystery was, this is the mystery that was hidden, that God is not the Messiah of a people group to save them from another people group, but he's the Messiah that saves you from sin and death and that that is true for all people and that saving is also now the establishing of his kingdom where he rules over practical things like how you treat your wife how you treat your husband how you treat people what you think about yourself where he rules over the power of the flesh where as we're going to read today, where we've been circumcised with a circumcision that's not made with hands, but the circumcision where the flesh is cut out of our hearts, where we can actually now experience the quality of God's life, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, unto a brand new life. Amen. Now, you know, I'm just asking you to bear with me. I know that what I say, a lot of what I've said is very technical you know but it's actually so simple unto us a child was given that will rule over sin and death that will manifest his kingdom in the earth that will make everything here new where it is not up to us to try and rule and reign let me say this to you the scripture in the Bible where God said to Adam have dominion that was given to the Adam which was the representative of the whole world and that Adam in the New Testament is Jesus Christ it is not for us to try and rule in the earth but it's for us to open our hearts unto the rule of the Messiah unto our rule open our heart unto the rule of the king who is king over this earth I want to tell you, God is king over the leader of North Korea. He's king over um, Putin. He's king over Jacob Zuma. He's king over all. of, None of them are kings, true kings. None of them. He is the King of Kings, and His and their kingdoms and their way of governance, all these things, is subject unto God and eventually in the end of it all all those things will not be. The only thing that will be is people that are flooded with the love and the goodness and the kindness Of God wherein God so live in us like Paul said it's not I who live but Christ who lives in me and as that takes place in everybody and as that takes place and through through a great event the physical return of Jesus Christ and people are manifested as immortal the dead is raised we will find that through loving hearts sharing in the life of God Jesus will be the ruler of this world where it's not an outside government but an inside governing by God being king over our hearts where he rules over our thoughts, our emotions, our passions. Glory to God. And The beautiful thing is that that kingdom was always promised and that kingdom is now in the earth and it is manifesting in the earth. I find towards the end of all things that evil will become more evil because there will be people that resist this no earthly king wants to hear he's not king (laughs) no earthly king wants to hear he's actually just a subject of another kingdom and there's a greater kingdom than his that will overthrow his kingdom he doesn't want to, they don't want to hear that and there will be some people that resist this and there will be an end to those so I'm not saying everybody will be saved what I'm saying is that good will become better manifesting in this world and I believe, and this is just the way I believe, evil will become less but the evil that is left will be very evil and then eventually completely will completely end in the physical return of Jesus Christ and so we will be in this earth glorified with God in the life that God has dreamt for us. Now Colossians goes on here, let's get back into Colossians here, he says In this Jesus, it says, in whom this Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So what I'm sharing with you now, inside this that I'm sharing with you now, inside this Christ wherein he is the ruler over your heart, is the treasures of all wisdom and all knowledge the treasure of having a healthy marriage, the treasure of having good relationship with your children, the treasure of treating your servants well, the treasure of having good friendships is all hidden. All the wisdom and the knowledge of the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge is hidden in this logic of Jesus being the ruler over sin and death in your life. Not a Messiah of a people group, but the Messiah of humanity. Amen. It says, and this I say, listen to what Paul is saying here, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, for for though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of of your faith in Christ so what he's saying here he says I'm not with you but I'm hearing how you are standing in the true gospel and how the order in your church doesn't talk about order they're always cleaning the building and those kind of things it talks about the order wherein they serve God the order wherein they serve God is it is God the Father that gave the Messiah and he's the Messiah of us Gentiles that's the order And the order is that God rules over sin and death and his life is my life. That was the order that there was. It was not an order where they said, well, God, Jews with their Messiah and we then have to be circumcised in the flesh, physical circumcision or we have to try and be tapped into Judaism in some form and then obey the law. That's not the order. The order he talks about here I believe can also be linked to the order of Melchizedek which talks about the order of an endless life which is the resurrected Christ. That's what he's talking about here, I I don't have time to explain all of that. Then he goes on, he says, As ye therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What he's talking about here, and he's referring to the Gentile people, he says to them, you received Christ as the Christ of the Messiah, the one who rules over sin and death. As you've received him in a state of, and the context here is, physically not circumcised. In other words, you received Christ as the Messiah without knowing about the Jewish feasts, without knowing about Judaism, without even being having access to the reading of the Ten Commandments. You just heard that Jesus was raised from the dead, and that when he conquered death, he conquered, he conquered something that so many people possess. All people were possessing death, all people were possessing sin and since he became uh, victorious over sin and death, because remember these Jews were so, they didn't know what, how could their Messiah die, what would be the significance in their Messiah coming here not redeeming them from the Romans, dying for three days then be raised and going to heaven and then pouring out the same Spirit that raised him from the dead on all flesh, all of a sudden people talk in different tongues when the Holy Spirit comes and people from all over now hear the message and this is the good news of the resurrection being preached by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit comes on the Gentiles. So they had to redefine who and what the Messiah was and they had to come to the conclusion the Messiah is the one who saves us from sin and death and he's saying to the people in Colossae here watch out for the Judaizers. Watch out for the people that want to bring you back under the law that wants to destroy your life. They're going to destroy you by taking you back to the law because they don't want you to serve Christ or uh, um, to walk in Christ as you are, uncircumcised. They want you to change your flesh. They want the men to be circumcised and include Judaism into Christianity talking about a mixture between law and grace. And this is what he says. He says here, I want you to fully understand how the gospel works, how God is the Messiah over sin and death, wherein our willpower, wherein our contribution is not needed, where he is the only Lord, where he is the only King, and as we understand that, and walk in the full assurance of that, we will not be tempted, we will have the right order, it's not us and Judaism and laws, it's just Christ and him ruling over, and we believing, that's the order, the order of his endless life, manifesting in me by is doing, where he rules, where he enforces his life into our lives as we believe upon that. Now, Paul is now warning people. He says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Don't now go and mix it with the law, for it will destroy your life. It says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit after the traditions of men. Can you see here that they didn't follow the Jewish traditions yet the Messiah was their Messiah and now people want to get them back to the Jewish feasts and Jewish this and Jewish that and Jewish numbering and Jewish... Jesus is your Messiah and you need to understand what Messiah means. Amen. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Now that word spoil there means to carry off as booty or to carry off as a captive or a slave. To lead away from the truth as a subject to one's own way. So what he's saying is let no man make you his slave. What he's saying is, if you believe anything else about the Messiah, you will be made a slave again. You will be made a slave. Why? Because the moment we incorporate the old system again, we are not allowing the Messiah to have his rule in our hearts. And what will happen? Sin, death, jealousy, the fruit of the flesh, love for money, evil concupiscence, all those things will start to manifest in our lives because now we want to govern it by how we fast or how we keep some feast, or how we res- try and resist sin in some form, or those kind of things. Instead of having an open heart to say, I am a subject of the kingdom of the Messiah. Amen. Now it goes on there, it says that we will be spoiled, or be uh, taken captive through philosophy. That word philosophy doesn't talk about philosophy as we know it today. It talks about, and I'm going to read the Greek word here for you, it says Jewish sophistry and what that means the word sophistry means it means the use um, the use of clever but false arguments the use of clever but false arguments you know the teaching that you must try and get rid of the flesh you must crucify your flesh you must lay down the flesh you must you must those are all clever but false arguments that's what it is and what is coming and what he's saying here he says that you don't have to have any of that in your life it is all over it is gone it is not part of what God has for you Amen so he says here beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit after the traditions of men after the basic principles of this world how many times do you hear teachings on this is just a basic principle principles Sowing and reaping, tithing principles, all these principles. He says, Beware, be careful. That's what he's saying here. Verse 9 For in him, now listen, this is what the Jews preached. The Jews preached and said to them, Listen, yes, Jesus died for you, but you need to be, in order to have the Messiah rule and reign over you, you have to become a Jew meaning you have to be circumcised, you have to become a proselyte of Judaism. That's what he was saying. Now listen to what he says. In other words, what the Jews was teaching, he says there's something wrong with your flesh. There's something wrong with your ethnicity. Listen to what Paul's argument is, is here. He says, for in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, in his physical body. Your body lacks nothing you do not in need of a circumcision, which is the head of all principality and power. So what he's saying is that principality and power is not talking about demons there. He's talking about the system, the Jewish system of that time. He's talking about the, the Roman system of that time. He says, listen, you don't have to submit to that rule. You don't have to try. And in this specific case, he's talking about the, the priestly priests and the Jewish system, which was a principality or a power in that time, a ruler or a governance in that time. He says, listen, Jesus' flesh is perfect, you are in Him, His body is perfect, and you are now, you become part of His body. There's nothing wrong with your body. He's ruling and reigning over your body. He's bringing forth, ending the fruit of the flesh, bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit in your body. That's what he's saying. He says, in Christ you are circumcised with a circumcision without hands, in the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I'm going to end with that. So what he's saying is, he's just saying that Christ's death and his resurrection and his bodily resurrection, physical resurrection... What that means, and as we believe unto that, I, I, I wish I had time to go go on talking about the blotting out of the handwriting of ordinances, and everything. but what Paul is saying there is he's saying that as we believe this truth and we don't mix it with, with the message of the Judaizers, the philosophy, the false wisdom, and we believe upon this, the effect of that is Christ Christ has circumcises, takes away the power of the flesh in us, free from our power, willpower, contribution or anything. It is a result of the rulership of Christ. The way the Messiah rules is he came to kill the enemy and he killed death and he killed sin. And now to have that reign in our hearts, we have access to that through faith. And that reign is called grace. And as we believe on this by faith, we've got access into this grace and the Messiah rules. That's why it says in verse 11, In whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. We, in whom we are circumcised, how are we circumcised? we are circumcised without a physical circumcision how? in the putting off of the body uh, the governing body or the place from where governance takes place of sin of the flesh how does that take place? he says we are circumcised our circumcision that we are partaking in is the power of sin is circumcised out of us how? by the circumcision of Christ what is the circumcision of Christ? Christ was circumcised, out of life, into death, his life was cut away, and that life was, he became sin and death, it was cut away, and then he was raised in a new form of physicality, and that is now our life, therefore, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily, and we are complete, we need no Judaism, Judaism, laws, rules, regulations, whatever. All we need is this truth. And combine this with last week's message, how do we see ourselves? The Bible says, let your affection, that word affection there in Colossians 3, mean let your wisdom, the depths of the wisdom of God, let your opinion of yourself, let what you think of yourself, the Greek word therefore, let your desire be or let, let your eyes be focused on heaven. It says there, let your opinion of yourself, what you think of yourself, be Christ. My opinion of myself, my opinion of this ministry, my opinion of our internet church, my opinion of how I would live with my wife and my children is the Messiah rules unto a successful, peaceful life-flooded life by his rule in my life, and that's true for you. Amen. I would like for us to pray together. Father, I want to thank you so much for your rulership. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love that you have towards us. And Lord, as I'm praying, I'm thinking of everyone that is watching me today. I thank you, Lord, that you are their Christ, You are their ruler. Thank you, Father, that you have come to circumcise them with the greatest circumcision, that which is unto life. I stretch forth my hands towards them and I speak to those people that are watching. I say to those who are physically sick, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are healed right now by the power of God. The power of the Christ who in bodily form has conquered all sin and death. I declare you healed. Those that are lacking understanding, I'm speaking over your mind, that you will be enlightened to see the the dimensions of the goodness and the love of God. Amen, amen. I want to thank you so much for watching and I want you to know that God loves you and he will eternally love you. Amen.